This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And welcome to the Wednesday show where we're going to give you plenty of football as always. Lots of weekly awards came down after our Monday show that included the Bulls. So just because we're two days after that fact doesn't mean we're not going to share all of that information. In fact, all four teams that are on the court or the fields right now were mentioned prominently. And one particular defensive player, I think you can guess who for the Bulls, was mentioned prominently on a national stage. We've got volleyball to preview for you. We'll be on the microphone tonight from the corral for the Bulls conference opener against Tulane. We'll sort of give you the overlay for how things are going in the American as well. But we're definitely going to start off with the start of the women's golf season. And it wasn't just Leo Medeiros just getting an ace in the second round. The Bulls didn't stop scoring low from there. Not only did they win the Badger Invitational, they won it by a lot. Beginning their 50th season, which means we get to see a lot of Golden Brahmin gear, which I'm excited about. And yes, I'm going to try and swipe while nobody's looking if I can, or maybe ask nicely for. The Bulls win this event to start off their 50th season by 13 shots. It was closer than that. The Bulls were, after the first round, just one off the lead. Basically, Wisconsin, the host, Delaware, and South Florida were at the top three throughout the course of this thing. Then on Monday, that's when Leo Medeiros had the ace and the Bulls surged to the lead. But it was just a one-shot lead over Delaware as Wisconsin had slipped six shots off the lead. You figured the Badgers would give the Bulls a push. You would have figured wrong. This one saw separation early, and the Bulls just destroyed the field, finishing on the round five under. That was their best performance, and four under for the tournament. Not only was no one else under par or close to it, it was Wisconsin way back at nine over par. Delaware, the team that was one shot behind the Bulls, and again, the Bulls had a five under score on their final round. Delaware shot eight over par. Only one team besides South Florida was under, and that was UTSA, conference team, one under. That got the Roadrunners into the fourth position at 12 over par. The Bulls did not give up much in this match. Elise Vidal actually was the only one who, you could say, struggled on the front nine, but she still slipped in two birdies along with four bogeys, and she finished two over for her round. That was very solid on a course where, again, only one team ended up under par. Well, it was a good score. It didn't count. That's good. When a good score doesn't count, in college golf, you have a starting five, and the highest score gets dropped. The lowest score was by Melanie Green, saving her best for last. A bogey-free round of four under 68. She had birdies on the second, fifth, 11th, and 12th holes. A couple of par threes in there that she birdied. Leo Medeiros also birdied a couple of par threes. Very steady on her round. Ended up 71, one under par for the final round. Alyssa Montgomery, a transfer from Virginia Tech, whose scores did not count the first two go-rounds, got on the board this time with a 71 marked by a three-straight birdie stretch, holes four through six. So on the front nine, the Bulls served notice that they were not going to be giving up the lead on this day. And then Emma Falcher, how about this for a consistent showing in your freshman season? Yes, she bogeyed a couple on the front nine, was two over, but got it back to one over par, 73, which is exactly 
what she scored in all three of her rounds. And here's the cool part. The Bulls were playing with players in basically threesomes from Wisconsin and Delaware. So there was a little bit of head-to-head going on with the schools that were one, two, and three. And obviously the other two schools didn't respond as well as the Bulls, who on that front nine, if you add it all up, were at two under for the round. And even with a player that was four under, their fifth player, Emily Clausen, had an eagle and two birdies on the front nine. Delaware's score was still three over par, while Wisconsin wasn't bad, but just didn't make the dent on the course that the Bulls did. By the way, Wisconsin, as the host, if you look at their scorecard, it kind of jumps out. They had so many golfers playing as individuals. The Bulls just sent their five to Wisconsin, and they turned in a great showing. Ironically, the Bulls did not challenge for the individual title because UTSA's Cameron Carrion started off with 68 and 69 and ended up winning with 900 par. Emma Bunch from New Mexico State, she had a 75 in her first round. She went 66 and 67 to finish one shot off the lead. Melanie Green was fourth at four under individually. Leo Medeiros was fifth at two under, but every bull ended up in the top 25 with Montgomery's closing 71 getting her there. Tied for 23rd, Alize Vidal, who joined the Bulls last year as a transfer from Kennesaw State, ended up tied for 10th, even though she had that 74 in her final round. And Emma Falcher with those 73s, ended up tied for 14th. We'll definitely be talking to head coach Erica Brennan for Friday's show. In fact, we'll do that tomorrow. Talk to several members of the squad as well. This is the first win for the Bulls at an event since the Old Friends Invitational a few seasons back, and it's the fourth for Coach Brennan, who is entering her sixth season. Now, we'll say the Bulls were expected to very much contend for this. If you look at the rankings of the teams involved, last year, yes, the Bulls made the NCAA tournament. They were the last team in. They were 55th in the rankings, and they kind of did the calculations and knew that they would slide into the tournament. And through two rounds and through two and a half rounds, really, at the regional, they were right there looking to advance to the NCAA Finals. This year, they don't want to have to be on the bubble. They want to contend for a conference championship at that. How you improve your ranking is you outperform the teams that are ahead of you. You start to jump that way, and when you squash the teams that are behind you, you also move up. The Bulls actually entered this as the second-best-ranked team. Sam Houston State was the top in the field at number 52, and Sam Houston actually ended up tied for 11th at 36 over par. So the highest-ranked team in the field, the Bulls beat by 40. That'll move you up. And actually, most of the better teams in the rankings were ones that you wouldn't expect. With the Big Ten, you would just assume that Wisconsin, Indiana, and Iowa were the strongest. Now, the Badgers were 82nd, but Iowa and Indiana both in the low 100s. Colorado State was actually the third-highest-ranked team in the field. They finished sixth in the event. And Augusta, go figure, playing in Augusta, Georgia, was the fourth best ranked team, but finished 13th. Another one from Florida, North Florida, ended up 14th. But the good news is the Bulls played in a fairly strong event and crushed it. No one in this event was outside the top 125, and there are nearly 300 teams in Division I women's golf. So no matter how you slice it, and the Bulls didn't seem to be slicing much, sorry, can't help with the golf puns. First chance to give them to you with their dominant victory. And when you have... Two new members of the team, one a freshman from France. You want to know how they're going to perform with the lead, with the expectations, with the pressure, and that is as good as it gets. 
They will have a quick turnaround going to Toledo for an event Monday, Tuesday, while the men, who finished 11th in their first event in Knoxville out of 14 teams, are headed to Northfield, Illinois, an event hosted by Northwestern. The Bulls will be at home for an event talking about the men's team after that October 9th and 10th, so we'll get with Steve Bradley and talk more about how that squad is shaping up, too. Talk to Alex Golish for the show Bullseye yesterday. We tape it on Tuesday, just full disclosure for a show that, you know, hits the video streams early on a Thursday morning. We're not getting up at 5 a.m. We're taping the show on Tuesday. And I got to tell you what he says about the defense. You know how they performed, but the anecdote is something that he hadn't shared until he talked to us about their reaction when Alabama came up with that interception, that key interception in the fourth quarter. It's uh, really good stuff. He was outstanding and love how sharing he is with us, giving he is of information. And I think you guys have to watch or listen to the show. It will air starting at 7 o'clock right here. The first chance you get to hear Bullseye is on Bulls Unlimited exclusively. It's an hour show, so Thursday morning, tomorrow morning, tune in. If you miss it at 7, don't worry. We're replaying it at 8 and at 9, and then the video availability is after that. Along with Coach Golish, we talked to Logan Berryhill. Hopefully you guys saw the story that Joey Johnston wrote about him. If you didn't, go read it right after you're finished with this show. It's that incredible, and we all know what he's been doing on the field, but and we got into this a little with him, and he was tremendous in sharing really the tragedy of his upbringing. He has overcome a lot. Now, his mother is the amazing part of this. She was diagnosed with brain cancer when she was nine years old. Unimaginable and yet amazing that she would have two children. And unfortunately, this is the other part of the tragedy. Braxton, that would be Logan Berryhill's older brother, was run over by a distracted driver and killed when Logan was just 14 years old. We talk about that and his great aunt who has raised him since his mother had the health problems. She is still alive, by the way. His mother is 42 years old in a convalescent home, and he still gets to visit her from time to time in Georgia. And she knows what he does and how he's doing down in Tampa and making everybody proud. You'll definitely want to watch that. That's the second part of the show. Actually, the first part is me and BJ Daniels and Kaylee Cottrell having our fun. And I'll go ahead and say it. If you saw the whole thing last week where the Alabama folks that create the food for the football team, I'm sure there's a staff of hundreds, uh, decided it would be cool in light of them playing South Florida to serve up a whole real live gator. And yes, I know the Bulls are not the gators, but that wasn't so important as the response that I think the Bulls needed to have, and that is to F everybody eat elephant ears. Well, BJ, I guess not everybody knows what an elephant ear is. BJ Daniels was like, whoa, man, no, that's taking it too far. I mean, that's a little too exotic. He thought I actually meant taking an ear off a poor elephant and eating it. That's in the intro. But then we get into Coach Golish and Logan Berryhill. You'll also hear Sam Barrington catch up with D.D. Lattimore, one of those great defensive players for the Bulls who's actually coaching up in Georgia. He shared with us that these kids have no idea what I did in football. It's funny. And then my conversation with Buse Hazan from volleyball. She has been amazing. We'll talk more about volleyball in our second segment. Speaking of amazing, he continues to be getting the national love 
Day-Day Evans was named the Bednarik Award National Defensive Player of the Week. So officially everybody saw what he did against Alabama. Here's some of his head coach, Alex Golish, from his Tuesday press conference. You're recruiting to what you want to be, but you're you're trying to fit guys' skill sets into what gives them the best opportunity to be successful. Defensively, I think probably a little bit easier at times to do that. Um, but I think defensively, we're playing extremely well to, to strong suits of what guys are doing well. You know, like Day-Day is a good example. Elite blitzer. Well, blitz him, you know. Day-Day, I think, was a young guy that honestly was, was earning for somebody to trust him and pour into him. And I don't know what happened before um, and really don't care, but since the day I got here, Day Day and I sat down in my office and I was like, man, this is like, this is my kind of dude. Like he's, he's exactly what you want. He works as hard as he can. He's got a million excuses why he shouldn't. Got a bunch of stuff going on at home. He's got a little guy that he's taking care of. Like Day Day has a million reasons why he shouldn't be successful. And all he does is comes in he spends all day here. He works extremely hard. He's learning how to hold his teammates accountable. And now he's got this crazy confidence because he's put the work in. So then it shows on the field. And now he's actually owning parts of that defense to where he feels like he can lead. That stuff is contagious, like work ethic, overcoming adversity, all these things that are really cool storylines but are going on within the program. And Day Day is a prime example of that. And Todd and, and Coach Rowe and the guys are doing a really good job of putting him in positions to be successful. But like I told Day Day yesterday, if we had, if we had 25 Day Days, we'd be, we'd be rocking and rolling at a high clip because he's smart, works extremely hard, the scheme fits him, and he's learning how to lead like – like priceless. Indeed he is. And again, the National Defensive Player of the Week. He also got into, you know, let's face it, the other side is looking to still get it going, the offense, and specifically the receiver group, which showed out a little bit, led by Naeem Simmons. Of course, Sean Atkins has had at least five catches in every game. So if you missed that, he grabbed six balls against Alabama, despite the fact that the Bulls didn't pass for many yards. He was right there. And get ready to hear what he has to say. But the receiving group seems like that's the part of the offense that we see the talent there, but they haven't really put it all together. And Coach Golish will let you know what he thinks. There's a bunch of guys in there that are uber talented. There's a bunch of guys in there that are still learning what it is to play football at this level. Like you, you, you'll talk to Sean Atkins here. Sean has this innate confidence because of the way that he works. You know, he maybe doesn't look the part. He was a walk-on. He has a chip on his shoulder. He works the same way he plays. He just finds a way. You know, and then you got Naeem Simmons, who we've poured a lot into. Naeem was a high-level player at Wagner. He came in here. He got hurt in spring, didn't go through much of spring. Took him a while to get back. Comes back fall camp, has a phenomenal fall camp, and is just learning that, man, I can play with these dudes. Like, it's a constant – he works really, really hard – but it's a constant battle for him to say, man, like internally, I know I got it. Um, and he's gotten better every week. And there's examples all over the film of him being able to go win. He's just learning how to truly believe in himself. Michael Brown Stevens, same story. Michael's played a ton of football. 
he does have the confidence. He missed most of fall camp with an injury. He's just working himself back into it. I thought he gave us a spark in some ways on Saturday. I think he's just going to continue to grow. Choffrey Brown, Choffrey's an older guy that has played on and off sparingly throughout his career, but has never had to be a guy that you've counted on. Now he is. He's learning how to do that. Um, you know, Jaden Alexis, uber talented, like uber, uber talented. Jaden hadn't really played college football in two years, had an injury at Texas, came in here, fought back through the injury, again, worked so hard through fall camp, is now just starting to get his, his footing right and really gaining confidence that he can go play at a high clip. It's like that whole room, Kelly Joyner, you know, he's played running back. We move him wide out. We're still playing him a little bit at running back, a little bit at wide out. He's learning how to be really confident out there. I, I told our staff on Sunday, like, when we actually truly believe that we're confident out there at receiver, we're going to light this thing up. We're still not there. thought today was a step forward. I think we've got to continue to take steps forward there for us to do what we want to do on offense. Those guys got to be really, really confident out there. What a love. That was a two-and-a-half-minute answer on a part of the team that, you know, is not putting up great numbers just yet. Atkins, and we saw Naeem, especially against FAMU, notwithstanding. And Shafri Brown has had some big moments, obviously, this year as well. And yet, it could have been one of those responses where he was short, that kind of thing. And nope, he was long. Told you all about it. And he said, you're going to hear from Sean Atkins. Let's hear what he said. I know Joey is probably working on this sort of strand. And Joey Johnson has been putting out great stories. I mentioned Logan Berryhill. More on what he wrote about volleyball's Bousset Hassan here in a second. But he asked both the coach and Sean Atkins basically about Byron Brown. And is there a fine line before deciding to take off and run maybe too soon to the detriment of a pass play being there? Of course, Byron's been making some incredible running plays, especially on third downs. But here was Atkins' response to that. And then he gets into, he's thrown some passes in his career, two-point conversion last year in Gainesville, and oh yeah, this year. Brown fakes the run, throws it out. It's a double pass. Atkins pump fakes. He hits Dukes in stride, and Dukes down to the seven-yard line. Brown to Atkins to Dukes, beautifully executed. First and goal, Bulls. It's a great weapon. Sean Atkins is a very talented passer. We've seen it on two-point plays in the past, and he was like a, a, a quarterback there and, and let his receiver come, out, come to the open field. Apparently, he fancies himself quite the QB. Well, I just think Byron's an absolute dog. Um, you know, he's got a good feel for the game. He's he's playing a, like a senior out there. He's a fre you know redshirt freshman, but... That dude is unreal. Um, I think we have to do a better job of getting open for him, making his job a lot easier, taking a lot of hits off of him. Um, and we'll do that. You know, we're making an emphasis of holding each other accountable, uh, making sure our depths are right um, so that he can play at a higher level and not take as many hits. Do you have some quarterback in your background? <laughs> you, just, you just have that skill set? So, yeah, I actually I play quarterback all the way up until my sophomore year of high school. Um, so I, I love slinging the rock. Uh, I tell Coach to give me more of those. but. Um, no, nah, it's fun. Uh, I feel like I got a good feel for the game, you know, throwing the ball, touch. I feel like I got the best touch in here. You can tell, bring that up to Byron. But um, I have some experience. Yeah, I, I chose to move in receiver. I feel like I was more dynamic at receiver. Um, you know, I'm 5'8". I can't really see over the line. But, uh, <laughs> but I just felt like I could have more impact on, like, games and stuff at receiver. You relate to the quarterbacks. You can oh, yeah. Yeah, you can ask any of them. Yeah. I can hang with them. <laughs> what a 
funny guy, obviously. What a talented guy and a true leader on this team. More football for you on Friday. Keep an eye on our podcast page, formerly known as Unlimited Unloaded. You also get to hear some things that don't actually make the air. For example, Wednesday, the full Zoom calls, which you guys don't get to see or hear unless you check it out there on Bulls Beat. But we're not going to make you wait because both Joel Gordon and Todd Orlando, who should be fun to talk to today, speak to the media that way. And so we'll post that for you on Wednesday. If not today, because I'm getting ready for volleyball, we'll give every effort to do that. Then we'll definitely have it for you on that platform on Thursday. So keep an eye out for that. I'll also be putting together the audio version of Bullseye. So it is going to be a busy day as we get ready for volleyball to bring you live at six o'clock. Speaking of volleyball, it is tonight the start of conference play. The women are six and five on the season after winning a thriller last Friday afternoon where they were down 13-10 in the fifth set and they use that as a springboard to a 3-0 weekend in Jacksonville. Busse Hazan is our guest on Bullseye, the sophomore from Turkey who did reveal to us that the injury that kept her out for most of her freshman season was as she was packing to leave for the United States, you've we've all done it, right? Run into the side table and bang the toe. Well, actually, she banged it pretty hard to the tune of she was in a boot for a month. She tells me that, but if you want to read Joey Johnston's article on her, it's already posted on GoUSFBulls.com, and he gets into a lot of the things that Frankly, I didn't have time as we were running short on time with Busey, and that is specifically, you know, learning the language. She is such a good English speaker. No one else from her family has been to the United States. You kind of take that stuff for granted. It also has awesome stuff from Jolene Shepherdson on Busey, who, again, has been the leader on the team in kills. Now they've seemed to have gotten it all together already through 11 matches, three players led by Hazan with more than 100 kills. The others being Amanda DeWitt, who was named to the AAC Weekly Honor Roll, had a career-high 20 putaways in one match. Maria Andraj also with 106 kills. And Marta Svitkovic, who has been the leader in that category for her first three seasons, didn't really get on the court for the first three weekends, but that changed last weekend, so they seem to be rounding into shape. Reagan Kynard, one of their middles, is injured, but Bulls looking strong. Tremendous additions to the team. On the defensive side, cannot overlook a player like Leah Schneider, who is their leader with 129 digs. And by the way, transfer setter Caroline Dykes is second on the team in that category and took over as the sole setter last weekend. We'll be on the air at 6 o'clock, Tulane, while the Bulls again are 6-5, and five, enters at 4-8 and eight on the season. Last year, the Green Wave went 9-22, and 4-16 and 16 in the conference, so you'd think a chance for the Bulls to get off to an early start in league play before they head to Memphis for a pair this weekend. And again, if you go to the Yingling Center, you're forgiven because that's where the Bulls have played all their home matches except the one at Emily Arena, of course. They are actually going to be at the Corral, so that's what we'll be emanating from. So far in the conference, with no UCF and no Houston, the top two teams by far the last two seasons, East Carolina and Temple are off to the strongest starts at 9-2. and two. And you look at the East Division, FAU is 8-5, and five, Charlotte 7-5, then the Bulls 6-5, and five, Memphis at 4-8, and eight, and UAB at 2-10. and 10. But again, the only significance of the divisional setup, well, there's several. One is that you will play everyone in your division twice, and on the other side, you just play the West, in this case, once. And frankly, most of the stronger teams in the league are on the West, so that shapes up favorably for the Bulls. 
But again, there is no conference tournament, so to have a divisional alignment is a little strange outside of the fact that it just sets the schedule. But being that, frankly, the East Division seems the weaker of the two, it gives the Bulls basically an easier schedule. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if they make some noise and hover towards the top of the standings this year. The men's soccer team starts off conference play on Friday against, according to Top Drawer Soccer, the number three team in the country. Those new rankings came out early this week. The Mustangs are incredible. They took down what had been the other hottest team to start things off, Memphis, 2-1 to one, last Friday in conference play. We'll talk more about them, obviously, on Friday's show because that's when the game is. How did Jalen Anderson not get Offensive Player of the Week in the conference for scoring two goals? Well, the honors went to Charlotte's Brigham Larson. He had two goals and an assist in a conference matchup against UAB. I think, frankly, the fact that it was a conference matchup probably gave that nod to Larson. Charlotte is... That other team, quote-unquote, you know, you look at SMU and FIU, which won the league in its first season in the American last year. Tulsa's always good, even though Charlotte was just the sixth seed for its first year. That is a dangerous type of team. But Jalen Anderson got on the honor roll, as he should have. By the way, the team that departed the league, UCF, we talked about how the American is a power conference for men's soccer, no doubt. Well, so is UCF's league. They're not in the Big 12 for men's soccer. Did you see the United Soccer Coaches poll yesterday? The top three teams are all from the Sunbelt Conference. That's right. One, two, and three. Marshall, West Virginia, and UCF. That is quite something. The Bulls' opponent on Friday happens to be right now the only team ranked in that particular poll, SMU. But I think that will change as the season goes along. Women's soccer, Vivian Bissett got weekly honor roll mention for her goal at Temple last week. Bulls started off conference play with a win, 2-1. to one. They're 4-4. Four four. Charlotte is the opponent coming to Corbett tomorrow night. The 49ers are 4-3-3. Three three. That win total matches all of last year. Their conference opener was a scoreless draw, though, at home against UAB. Followed that up by beating Longwood last week. Their last three matches featured two wins and a tie. They won at Richmond 3-2. They also have tied Virginia Tech and lost to NC State, which is an NCAA tournament team every year, 2-1. So, Looks like it's going to be a tough opponent. We'll tell you more about them when we hit the air on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. So volleyball tonight, women's soccer tomorrow, men's soccer Friday at 5. You get it. We've got it all covered for you here on Bulls Unlimited, and we talk about it for you on Bulls Beat. Next show is Friday. Until then, horns up.